Y'all may be seated. If you're a student, you are dismissed. Welcome to Christ Community Church. My bride and I greet you <laughs> in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, That's um, a great outfit. We are very happy that you're here with us today. Bless the Lord. Um, Christopher, that was, that was good singing right there, dude. That was great. Um, it really was. I mean, it's always good, but that was extra good. Why am I closer? There we go. Um, Y'all don't know this, but uh, now if you're a visitor, sorry. But if you come regularly, you don't know this, but every morning I pray that or part of that song for you. That comes from Psalm 90. And uh, the psalmist says, Satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. And that's one of the things that I pray for myself and that I pray for you uh, very specifically that, that God would satisfy us with Himself. Not with a bank full of money or a body that works perfectly for a thousand years or with um, making everybody in our lives act nice. Those things would be great. But what I want us, what I'd like God to do is to teach us to be satisfied in Him. Where da like David said in Psalm 23, uh, For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because He's my shepherd, I don't, I don't need a thing. I am good. Because I've got it all. And um, anyway, that's one of the things I pray for y'all. Um, I wanted to talk, or we wanted to talk today uh, for a little while about the compassion of the Lord. And Jeremiah, or the prophet Jeremiah declares that God's compassion never fails. And one of the reasons that I believe that the Lord Jesus um, was the manifestation of Jehovah God in the Old Testament when He came to the earth in the New Testament, um, when, when Jeremiah declares that uh, God's compassion never fails, when, you, when Jesus comes on the scene, what you see is a, a person who was filled with compassion. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, uh, Matthew, uh, uh, observing the Lord Jesus, said this. He said, When Jesus saw the multitudes, his heart was filled with compassion. For the people were like sheep without, without a shepherd. And uh, that compassion that the Lord had for people that never failed in being expressed to people in the Old Testament, Jesus just picked that right up. He just, it was in his DNA, he got it from his dad. And when he saw people, his heart was filled with compassion. Not anger, not condescension, not arrogance, not lecture or shame, shame or meanness or I told you so. And just so y'all know, when the Lord sees me and you, 
His heart is still filled with compassion. He has other emotions and other feelings too. He's a complex person just like me and you. More complex actually. Uh, but it's important for us to realize that when the Lord sees us, really sees us, what stood out to Matthew was that Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. When Jesus looked at, um, I was just thinking about mom, what mom said today about that funeral yesterday. And uh, when Jesus saw Mary and Martha standing there in front of that tomb where their brother lay, his heart was filled with compassion. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus living in a town and not one person in that town liked him at all, Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. Um, the lady at the well, busy, busy, spiritual giant disciples, they blow by her going one way and blow by her going the, the other way. Didn't even see, that's the point, they didn't see her. But when she walked up to that well, Jesus saw her. He looked right in, not only into her face, he looked into her life and her heart. And his heart, his heart was filled with compassion. The demoniac, when Jesus saw that man filled with such darkness and evil uh, beyond description, his heart was filled with compassion. The rich young ruler, he had bank accounts full of money. But his heart was as empty as an old drum. But when Jesus saw him, the way, the way uh, it says it there is, he loved him. But it's the same thing. Same thing, Jesus had compassion. And on Peter, after Peter was such a crummy, crummy friend. None of y'all have ever been, none of y'all have ever been crummy friends, I'm sure. But I have. When Jesus saw Peter being a crummy friend, his heart was filled with compassion. Compassion is one of those qualities that radiated out of the life of Jesus and that people saw and felt from Jesus. You want to read that little thing you've yeah, so you may have heard of Ann Voskamp. She's a, a popular writer at the moment. Um, she says this about compassion. If you summed up the whole character of Christ and how he related to people, it might be he was moved with compassion. Hmm. The Greek word for compassion carries with it the idea of getting kicked in the gut, which I think is a funny phrase. Uh, and if you have been able ladies to be with us on our um, Tuesday night Bible study uh, through the Beatitudes that blessed are those who mourn is a little bit like this mm -hmm. same feeling kicked in the gut when we feel compassion like Jesus did we feel deep core pain that bends us over forces us to reach down compassion demands a response Life isn't so overwhelming when you understand that God's call to us is to serve others like his son did. And then this, everyone wants to change the world. Hmm. No one wants to change the sheets. 
That's so good. I'm so mm-hmm. jealous I didn't write that myself. <laughs> everyone wants to, 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 everyone can see the world. Everyone wants the world to change, wants to be part of the change. No one, or so few, want to do the work. Our heart's going to be filled with something. I was thinking of that as Larry was talking mm-hmm. and giving the intro. It's going to be filled with something. Christ's was full of compassion. Yes. The early critics of the New Testament church, Jewish writers, Roman writers, Greek writers, when they wrote about the early Christians, they consistently mentioned that they were a people, a a very odd people. They were not complimenting them. They were a very odd people who They love to gather together and study both the writings of the prophets and the writings of the apostles. They loved to pray together. They loved to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And they loved to show compassion to the poor and the needy. That was, what, that was their M.O., their reputation. They love to show compassion to the poor and the needy. If you read the writings of the early church, not just in the New Testament, but extra-biblical writings, they consistently declared that they actually believed what the psalmist said, like in Psalm 112. Good comes to all people who are generous and give freely and live lives of justice. What Solomon said in Psalm, uh, Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper, and he who refreshes others will be refreshed. Paul challenged the church by telling them, like in Romans 15, <clears throat> man, this is strong words, you who, are st- uh, you who are strong must bear with the failings of the weak. Don't just please yourselves. Rather please others for their good to build them up. For Christ did not please himself. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, If you sow a life of stinginess, you will reap a life of stinginess. If you sow a life of generosity, you will reap a generous life. So give to others in need what your heart tells you, not with reluctance or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you live a life of stinginess, you receive back a life of stinginess. If you live a life of generosity, you'll receive back a life of generosity. Shirley knows me better than anybody in this room or on this planet. And she would tell you after 40 years of marriage that I, I, this is not just a topic or a, 
a lesson or a theme or a biblical doctrine or whatever the right word is that I think everybody ought to be reminded of or, you know, be challenged with every once in a while that showing the compassion of God to other people, especially people that are broken and in need, that are hurting, that is such a big deal uh, to me. But honestly, I can't tell you how many times monthly I will rationalize away opportunities that God puts in front of me to show people compassion. The need is clear and the opportunity is there. But I, um, I don't I don't enter into that need, into that place of pain, that, that dysfunction. I choose not to enter into that place with compassion. I, I know none of y'all would do this, but I will play these mental games thinking that um, what I offer won't be enough. Um, that I will actually, by sticking my nose in situations, will make it worse. Enabling people instead of helping. It won't matter. It won't last. I'm not equipped. It's somebody else's turn. And the list goes on and on. My inclination so often is to see need and pain and to remove myself rather than to engage, to close myself off rather than to open my life up. And I came across this verse in Luke chapter 6, not always oh, a couple of weeks ago, and that's where all this came from that we're talking about today. Uh, I'd, I've read this verse in Luke 6 10,000 times, and I'm not even exaggerating. But I never saw it the way I did when I read it a few, a few weeks ago. In Luke 6, <clears throat> Jesus says this. He says, Give to everyone who begs you for help. And if anyone takes what is yours, don't demand it back. And I think Jesus is sharing there some very important words about what a journey with him looks like. Give to anyone who asks you for help. Do you know what that implies? That implies that I'm living a life close enough to people in need that they're able to ask. They didn't, Jesus didn't say when they send you a text or an email or a carrier pigeon message or a telegram or whatever they'd have done back then. Some kind of little 
tablet, you know, the chiseled out, help, I need help, or whatever they did. I don't know what they did. I guess a scroll. Um, He's saying there that you and I, if we're going to walk with him, we ought to be living close enough to people that they will be able to ask us for help. He means that we should be close enough to people that there is, that it's possible and normal for them to ask. I mean, isn't that what Matthew 7 and chapter 9 and chapter 11 were two different times? You know, Jesus, Jesus was criticized, but at the end of the day, most of the criticisms that, that people levied against Jesus were goofy. Oh, you ate a few kernels of wheat on the, on the Sabbath day, or you ate some supper without washing your hands. Most of the stuff that, that, were, were, that were criticisms were so dumb. But the big criticism, the big criticism that people levied against Jesus was Jesus consistently hung out with very, very unsavory, broken, needy, problem-filled people. He was, it says that he was a friend of gluttons and drunks and prostitutes and sinners and those in need. The life that Jesus lived was a life that intersected and walked alongside and engaged with people that had great problems and needs. And I just was thinking about that idea of distance. Now, stay with me. Jesus consistently told stories. He lived a life where the distance between the have, him, he has it all, and the have-nots, those drunks and uh, gluttons and prostitutes and broken, unsavory, unpleasant people, the gap between Jesus' life, the distance between Jesus' life and all these needy people, it was not there. It was so close. And he tells story after story after story to exemplify that, to emphasize this. By example, the story in, what is it, in Luke uh, 16, about the rich man and Lazarus. That, that, that image, it's so, it's so easy to miss the point that Jesus is making there. This man who has it all, has all this abundance, He's living in a mansion on an estate. Okay, you've got this, this palatial mansion back in the back of the estate. And then way up by the front gate on the road is this poor man. The distance between the mansion and the gate. In Matthew 25, when Jesus tells what's going what's to happen when he returns and he says to, the, to a certain group of people that he calls goats, he says, I was in prison, but you didn't come. I was sick, 
you didn't visit me. That distance, where the distance between where people who were the haves were and where the people who did not have, there was this distance. The, and then the quintessential example, Shirley, is the Good Samaritan. The, the, the two religious, godly, Bible-reading, God-fearing, church-going, uh, 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 church-serving people, when they saw this man beaten to a pulp, what did they, they walked around. They, the distance got greater. And we would go, how terrible. But that's it. That's me. I see need, I see dysfunction, I see problem, I see pain. And if I am not incredibly careful, I will make, I will see that need and I will extend that distance rather than making it more narrow. And, you know, Shirley and I have had the privilege of of traveling um, in the last year or so, or a couple of years, some, and uh, you know, I don't know whether y'all have noticed this, but it seems to us, when we've been in New Orleans and just in all kinds of different places, the Nashville was unbelievable. Um, the increase in panhandlers and beggars and the homeless, um, uh, it, it, it's, I mean, it's noticeably increased and I don't know how that impacts you I don't know whether you've noticed that or not but if you have you know and how that impacts us either with it either makes us sad it makes us very uncomfortable or it makes us very judgmental why don't those people get a job why are they trying to sponge off of me but if you just think about it and I don't want to belabor this point but I do want us to think about it throughout history people lived close together because of economics because of safety because of health reasons people lived in such close proximity to one another that the idea that I would be confronted with need it was unavoidable it was just a part of life for everyone people lived in close proximity but because of our technology, our economics, and our transportation, it has created the opportunity for all, I, I want to be so bold as to say, for every one of us to create a life away from people in need. To be removed from people in need in the name of safety, and in the name of comfort, we keep the very need that filled Jesus' heart with compassion. We keep it at arm's length. We don't want people knocking on our doors. We don't want people asking us for help on the street. We don't want people bothering us. We don't want people making us feel bad or afraid. And if we're not careful, we can get into an incredibly bad place. Starting with me. 
where I start thinking as long as I'm not doing wrong, as long as I'm not harming people, isn't that enough? As long as I'm being a good citizen, I obey the speed limit, which I don't, but, but I, you know, I, let's just pretend for a second. Um, I obey the speed limit. I wear my seat belt. I, I, I do the, 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 the minimum things that, that a good citizen is supposed to do. And I, as long as I don't, as long as I do pay my taxes, as long as I do that and I don't do intentional harm and wrong, isn't that enough? I appeal to us all. I beg us all in the name of Jesus to consider the very real possibility that that kind of an attitude does not flow out of a heart filled with the Spirit of God. Instead, it, fill, it, it flows out of a heart that's filled with privilege and entitlement and selfishness and pride and fear. Because the calling of Jesus upon our lives, the calling that God has placed upon our lives is to emulate the life of Jesus. A life that was exemplified by seeing the masses seeing the multitude, seeing those in need, in pain, in dysfunction, and having a heart filled with compassion. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Follow Christ's example as beloved children and walk in the way of love just like Christ did. And in Philippians 2, Paul says, Embrace the mind of Christ. Don't just look out for yourselves. Look out for others as Christ did. Listen to this, what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. It's longer than this. I'm going to read a short part. If you want me to send it to you, I will later. Though Christian charity sounds like a very cold thing to people whose heads are full of sentimentality, and though it is quite distinct from affection, it leads to affection. Mm. Mm. The difference between a Christian and a worldly man is not that the worldly man has only affections or likings and that the Christian has only charity. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone more kindly, um, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, mm. including the people he couldn't even have imagined self-liking at the beginning. Mm. Good and evil increase at compound interest. Hmm. Um, hmm. Let's go Good on. and evil increase. increase at compound interest. Yeah. So hmm. perhaps, of course, Jesus is the example and Jesus is perfection. So sometimes that's a difficult example to embrace in, with imperfection. But perhaps his heart was filled with compassion as a human being because he was around people and grew to like them and love them rather than judge them, rather than distance himself, rather than to, to, to fear. And therefore, at compound interest, again, Jesus is a difficult example because he's not, he's not imperfect. Uh, 
Then the, the compassion grew. But he learned, the Bible says, obedience. Yeah. He learned through what he, he followed the plans and the priorities and the purposes of his father. And he learned obedience. Just like he's invited us to do the same, commanded us to do. And so it is a fair uh, comparison. Um, I don't have any compassion for poor people. I don't care about them. Go down and feed some people down in a soup kitchen for a night. See how you feel at the end of the evening. You might start feeling differently. Rather than letting our cold feelings drive our actions, what if we let the Holy Spirit drive our actions, trusting that as we obey, God's Spirit will change how we feel. I'm not suggesting that everybody ought to, uh, um, you know, run out of this building today and call Judy and uh, say, hey, we need to all sell our houses and uh, move down to where there's a bunch of needy people. Maybe we should. But that's not, I'm not suggesting that I have to change my address. I am suggesting that God wants us to change our hearts so that rather than being confronted with need and responding with withdrawal, distance, disdain, disdain with judgment, because that makes me feel uncomfortable. That makes me feel endangered. That that there's, there's other reasons, there's other problems going on here, and my little bit of help won't really help. I believe that the Lord Jesus really is inviting us to live such a different life than everyone else. And rather than running from need, to run to it, and offer what we, can I fix every problem in every person's life? No. And you can't either. But like that little boy gave what he had. That's exactly what I was thinking. Hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. And that lady that came and slipped in behind Jesus at that party, she gave what she had. And that lady that went into the temple with that little offering, she gave what she had, believing that acts of compassion open up the windows and the doors and invite the kingdom of God upon this earth. Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come. When's it coming? How's it coming? I'm not denying that there's going to be a big day one day. I'm not, I'm not menacing that. But are we supposed to wait around and watch TV and play golf and lay by the swimming pool and wait on that? Or should we be busy trying to open up every time we, we get involved in acts of compassion? Our feeble, limited, crummy attempts but when, we, when we're involved in acts of compassion, we're raising windows and we're opening doors and letting the kingdom of God in. And it matters. It matters to Jesus. It matters 
to people who receive that compassion. And it changes us. It makes us different. It makes us better. It makes us more like him. I really believe that. And I think that's what the Lord Jesus is saying there. Did you want to do that deal for Mother Teresa real quick? I don't think I have Oh, that. okay, my bad. I thought you had that. Yeah. I'm going to let you read it. Okay. Mother Teresa said, Be faithful in your small acts of compassion, for therein lies your strength. God is great, and yet He lowers Himself and reaches down to do small things through us. But as he does these small things, they become great and infinite, for nothing that God does can remain small. We must be faithful in small things, for this is the will of God for our lives. To C.S. Lewis' point of compound interest, right? Yes. The little, can't you imagine what the, what the disciples said? When all those people, 5,000 plus all their children and wives and everybody, and they were all hungry, and this, somebody finds some kid with some bread and some fish, and kid gives the thing. I wonder what the, what the disciples said. My bet is that they were like, because we, we know if you read them, they could get kind of snarky, like, what's happening, what's happening? <laughs> and don't you know they wondered, like, well, this might be the dumbest thing. I mean, kid doesn't have anything. Right. Yes. And gifts of compassion and humility increase with compound interest. Yes. And what a day when the, we can cash in our gift certificates or CDs or whatever it is and see the interest that's been created. Mm. Mm. We say we, we say we want everybody to be equal, don't we? What am I doing about that? Mm -hmm. to, le to level the playing field, yeah. What am, what am I, because if I'm rolling up the window or turning away, it seems to me I'm doing the opposite of wanting everyone mm. to be more equal. Don't minimize the power of your children seeing you display acts of kindness. Oh, but I've got to get them to t-ball practice or to cheerleading or to school or to whatever. And those things are very important. I'm not Minimizing any of those things. I, Lord have mercy. I drove my daughter everywhere in the world. Um, but for our children to see us do scary things, uncomfortable things, unpleasant things, sacrificial things, in the name of Jesus to show compassion to people in need, um, that has an impact. It has an impact. It really does. Thank you, friend.
Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Hebrews chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, Jesus shared in our humanity so that through his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death and free us who all our lives have been held slaves by our fear of death. One of the things that we declare when we take bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and wine, or grape juice, that represents His blood, and we eat and we drink, we're declaring that Jesus has set us free from our enslavement to the one that holds us captive by our fear of death. And um, yeah, I just think that's a good thing to be reminded of today that we do not have to fear death. We don't have to look, we don't, we don't need necessarily be trying to get in the next load uh, that's going, but we don't have to live lives fearing death because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He embraced death so that we would not have to fear death. And um, so I invite you to take bread and wine and to eat and drink and just take a minute while the worship team sings just uh, give thanks that we do not have to fear death anymore okay